are finally here. The last uh, message in the series on frequently asked questions. And you've seen this one on the list for weeks. And today we're discussing what God says about our sexuality. Uh, in specific, we'll be talking about homosexuality in addition to the, the entire uh, topic of sexuality. So if you came in today for a light feel-good sermon, this is, this is, uh, this is it. Um, Maybe you came on the wrong Sunday. No, we, we wanted to, uh, to, to tackle uh, these frequently asked questions, maybe things that we don't necessarily talk about uh, in detail uh, on a regular basis. Uh, we've been asking a whole lot of questions over the past couple of months. We've addressed why bad things happen in our lives, uh, what's going to happen at the end of time, if it's, really, uh, uh, if, if it's really possible to be good, to be holy, is that really possible? Uh, last week we addressed a few relationship issues, uh, and today uh, we, uh, and, and we, we tried to answer these questions uh, based on uh, a Christian worldview, right? And so uh, those of you that have been here uh, over the past couple of months, uh, you, you weren't surprised by the easels that came out, and uh, I Probably no easels next week. Sorry to disappoint you guys. But uh, uh, just just to review then, we've got the Christian worldview here and the non-Christian worldview here. And uh, and so just to review, we've got, uh, uh, this is how we're answering our questions based on a Christian worldview. This is how, uh, how we should be looking at the world if we are followers of God. So, so uh, it is a God-centered worldview. God created everything. Uh, we are crea- created to be in uh, relationship with God. God created us, and uh, we are created to be in a relationship with God. But sin entered the world, as Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, sin entered the world, broke that relationship, and brought pain and suffering and, and heartache and even death. So we need a Savior in order to save us from that sin, to restore that relationship with God. And so Jesus is our Savior. Uh, the, the, the whole perspective of life then is that heaven is our home. Earth is, we're just, as, as the old song says, I guess we're just a passing through, right? Uh, we've just got a few years here on this, this world because we are heading toward heaven. Heaven is our home, and so our purpose is to be holy. And so God is shaping us and molding us and making us more and more holy. When we have questions, maybe some frequently asked questions, we bring those to our heavenly Father. And he's the one that answers our questions based on this Christian worldview. It's a, it's a God life following God's rules, God's order of things. Of course, the other side then is the non-Christian worldview. It's me-centered. There is no God, so, so uh, there, there was no creation. There, there's no sin, so there's no need for a Savior. So, so uh, Jesus doesn't really enter into the picture. The whole perspective is that earth is my home, so my purpose is to be happy. And, and, and so I'm going to answer my questions based on how I feel or, or what's popular around me. What does everybody else think? Uh, how do we kind of uh, decide this together? Uh, what makes me feel good? Uh, what makes me happy? And so uh, it's all about this life and, and this world. And so everything is, is, uh, is about how things feel. And so it's my life following my rules. Christian worldview, non-Christian worldview. Uh, and, and then we said that somewhere along the way, people usually drift into a combination of these. And so it's what we've been calling the smorgasbord Christianity, where we kind of pick and choose, kind of like we're at the buffet line. We pick and choose what we want and what we don't want, and, uh, and we make that. We kind of craft our own worldview. 
and it's kind of a, a, a molding or melding of the, of the two. But that's not Christian either because it's less than the Christian worldview. I hope that whether you've been asking any of these questions that we've covered over the last couple of months, I hope that, that, that perhaps this series has awakened you to areas where you've been living at the smorgasbord, so to speak, instead of following Jesus completely. And, and getting your answers from your Heavenly Father. So, so I hope that this continues on, and as you face questions and circumstances in life, you'll do that through the lens of this Christian worldview. Now, I, I don't want to mince words, I guess. This has been some pretty heavy-hitting stuff. Sometimes the, the truth isn't easy to hear, but it doesn't make it any less true just because it's hard. And, and so as we approach the difficult and personal topics related to our sexuality, uh, these worldviews make a big difference, right? Uh, I mean, someone who is living to be holy is going to face their sexuality differently than someone who is living to be happy, right? Uh, we can kind of see that, uh, that, that if, I'm, if all I'm doing is living for this life and I want to do what makes me feel good, then I'm going to approach sex a whole lot differently than if I'm living to be holy. And so the first question I think we have to ask today before we get into any of the other details is what is God's design for our sexual lives? The answer is, the short answer is, live inside the circle. And I'll get to that in just a second. In Genesis 1.27, we read that God created us with gender-specific identity. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So part of who we are includes our sexuality. And inherent in that uh, design is, is God's plan for expressing our sexuality uh, between a man and a woman committed to each other for life in a monogamous relationship. So... If we uh, want to visualize that, we've got a circle. And this is, if we're living to be holy, this is kind of the, uh, the holy circle, I guess. And so we've got a, a man and a woman in a relationship. So we'll put married for life. That is God's plan for our sexual lives. That's where sex has been designed to be enjoyed. Jesus described it in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. We, we read it last week. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Something significant and unique is created in a sexual relationship that, as we said last week, glues us together with someone else. Of course, yes, to propagate the species, that's, uh, that's, that's one of the, the purposes for sure, but also for an intimate, deep-seated, supernaturally glued-together relationship. God glues us together uh, through that process of sexual intimacy. It's a unique, special, and significant gift, and it must be treasured not treated casually or merely as something physical. I love the way Eugene Peterson phrases 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 20 in the, in the message. He says it this way, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. 
Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works, so let people see God in and through your body. Sex is more than physical, more than skin on skin. It unites us with the other person on multiple levels. And so that's why God's design for sexual intimacy is between a man and a woman in a committed marriage relationship for life. That's life inside the circle. That's our sexual life inside the circle of God's holiness. That's, that's God's plan. Anything then outside that circle is not God's plan for sexual intimacy. Some might say, well, well, that's boring. I, I heard one pastor recently when, when he was talking about uh, some of these things and he said, uh, someone, someone told him, well, that sounds boring. And he said, well, then you must not be doing it right. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's easy. Our sexual urges and desires and uh, our forces to be reckoned with. There was a girl named, named Olivia who was uh, playing the part of Mary in, the, in the, uh, uh, her Sunday school classes uh, nativity play. And she was getting ready uh, backstage. They were getting ready to perform. And, and there was another boy in the class who, uh, who was a sheep, uh, playing a, a sheep as, as part of the play. And, and he was going around to asking the different people in the backstage, asking them what they were going to be. And, and so he would, he would say, I'm a sheep. What are you? I'm a sheep. What are you? I'm a sheep. What are you? And he got to Olivia, who's playing Mary. And he said, I'm a sheep. What are you? And she said, well, I'm... I'm Mary. This little boy, this sheep, realized he was face to face with one of the key players here in this, in this play. And uh, so he figured he needed to justify his own position as a sheep. And so he said, it's hard being a sheep, you know. Olivia responded and said, yeah, it's also hard being a virgin, you know. Les Parrott, Dr. Les Parrott has said, no human longing is more powerful, more difficult to rein in than sex. It has enough combustive force to incinerate wedding vows, family commitments, career goals, religious devotion, and anything else in its path. So it's not easy, but it's, it's God's design because it's best. Any sexual activity outside of this, this circle, man, woman, married for life, anything outside of that circle is not what God intended for our sexual lives. Uh, and, and it's, it would be considered according to the Christian worldview, that's sin. One night stand. Wrong. Living together before you're married, that's outside the circle. Uh, teens messing around, it, it's not inside the circle. A- an affair, no. Uh, homosexual activity, that's outside the circle. Let's talk about pornography for a minute. While we're here, we might as well, right? Uh, the, the, 
sexual activity with, uh, with, with someone other than your spouse, okay? Well, pornography would fit there, wouldn't it? it it's just that that other person is, is in a magazine or on a screen. It, it's not what God designed for our sexual lives. It's empty, it's addictive, it's self-centered. We live in an over-sexualized society where what used to be categorized as pornography is now part of regular jokes on mainstream TV shows and wherever else. We don't, we don't have time to, to get into all the details. We can show you stats and all those kinds of things. But, but uh, many experts believe that pornography addiction uh, is, is harder to break than a heroin addiction. It, it's not just, oh, that's no big deal or everybody's doing it. I, I guess I can go on record that everybody's not doing it because I'm not doing it. There are, there are, there's so much more inside the circle. Holy sexuality. Batman. No, that, I'm sorry, that just, <laughs> wasn't there in the notes, I'm sorry. That just, kind of, anyway, it's good. If, if you're, if you're struggling with, uh, with any of these things, but specifically, I guess if we're talking about pornography, struggling with that, and it is indeed a struggle and it's addictive and, and man, I would just love to, 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 to talk with you one-on-one and, and work out how, how maybe you can, you can allow God to redeem that and get you back inside the circle and, and, and get rid of that extramarital activity. God has a better plan for your sex life than pornography. So anything, if, if you're choosing any of these activities, anything that's, that's not in the circle, anything that's, that's not God's plan for sex, uh, the, the sex within a committed lifelong heterosexual relationship, then you're pursuing what you think might make you happy, not pursuing what God says will make you holy. It's sinful. Before we go any further to look specifically into uh, homosexuality, uh, I, I want to ask another question. Uh, how did Jesus handle sin, especially sexual sin? So, so, uh, so, okay, so, so that's the, the picture, life inside the circle. What happens when people are outside the circle? How did Jesus handle that? The answer, John 8, 2 through 11. It's a story of a, of a woman caught in the act of adultery. The church leaders caught her. Maybe you've read this story before. They, 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 they brought her to Jesus to try to trick him. They didn't think that it was really possible for, uh, for, for Jesus to support both sides of the equation, both grace and truth, right? So, so, uh, we, and, and we tend to, uh, to, to highlight one or the other a lot of the times. We're, we're either so full of grace, we, oh, no big deal, you know, great. But we don't, we don't emphasize any standards. Or on the other side, we emphasize all the standards and condemn and, and do all these things, but, and there's not a whole lot of grace. Uh, these folks, these church leaders, uh, knew the law. And they wondered what Jesus was going to do. Could he really balance both grace and truth? Well, Scripture says that Jesus was indeed, in John chapter 1, Jesus was both grace and truth. And we see that through this story. Uh, so we, we have these condemning church leaders. They're gathered around this half-naked woman caught in sexual sin. And Jesus seems disinterested. He's doodling in the dirt. And, and these guys have rocks. And they're ready to, uh, to stone this woman just like the law allowed them to do. They, they would certainly be within the law, within their rights to stone her. And finally, Jesus responded and said, Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let whoever's without sin, go ahead. And one by one, we see in, in, in that passage, one by one, the angry mob begins to disperse and stones begin to drop and pretty soon everybody's gone. And Jesus 
looks at the woman and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go, go now and leave your life of sin. So as a church, as followers of Jesus, before we get into any of the, 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 the other details that we'll talk about today, how do we follow Jesus' example in dealing with sin, especially sexual sin? The first thing I think we have to do if we're looking at this passage is that we need to drop rocks and love people. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Most of you. Good. Okay. Basically, that's what Jesus said in this crowd, right? Uh, they had rocks, and he said, if you haven't sinned, uh, go ahead. And uh, basically, he said, uh, raise your hand if you've never sinned. Okay, um, all right, well, now we're kind of all in the same playing field. We have to acknowledge that we are merely sinners saved by grace, so we are not in a place to condemn anyone. So that means that no matter what your sin, no matter what your past, no matter what your circumstances, there is a place for you in a relationship with God because Jesus has provided for that. He's taken care of the sin, and as we believe in him, we can renew and restore that relationship with him. No matter where we have come from or where we find ourselves, there is a place for you with God and in the church. You don't have to get all holy and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to get all holy, right? He's the one that makes us holy. He's the one that transforms our lives. He makes us holy. We don't do that to ourselves. We don't clean ourselves up and then we're, 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 we're capable of, of, of a relationship with God. And Jesus' example here in this passage is, is so important to us. Even Jesus, who was rightfully in a place to condemn this woman, he could have. He was perfect. He was without sin, but he didn't cast any stones. He started with grace and love, not condemnation. I don't think the church, I don't think I, I don't think a lot of us have done a great job with this. I I think we emphasize condemnation or we emphasize grace, but holding up the two. I want to be able to follow Jesus' example in this. I'm not talking about diminishing the gravity of sin I'm talking about dropping rocks and loving people. First step, dropping rocks and loving people. The second thing is point the way to holiness. And this is where the balance comes in, right? Jesus loved this woman. He didn't condemn her, but it wasn't a superficial love that just said, oh, do whatever makes you happy. That's what we do a lot of the times, right? Someone does something and, and we, we say, well, I'm not, I'm not able to condemn you. Just, you know, just go ahead and do whatever you want. Go ahead. Uh, I love you no matter what. It's true. I, I, I will love you no matter what. But real love goes deeper than that. Jesus loved this woman too much to leave her in her sinful lifestyle. He knew a better way to live, and in this case, it was a better way to express sexuality. And so he loved her enough to start her on the journey toward holiness, not just pursuing happiness. As followers of Jesus We've got to go there too. We, we can't condone sinful behavior, but we can love people on their journey toward holiness. We're all on that journey. You struggle with certain things. I struggle with other things. Someone else might struggle with something else. Together, we're helping each other. We're not condemning each other. We're, we're, we're getting, uh, helping each other getting closer and closer to our heavenly father. We're pointing people to God. 
And in doing that, we're not just condone, uh, condoning sin or condemning sin. We're saying, man, I'm living through this worldview and, and Jesus has died for my sins and it's an amazing thing. And man, I don't get it right all the time, but head to Jesus. I'm not condemning what, but there's a, this is better. God knows best. We're not just answering questions based on what we feel like. We don't just define our lives based on what we want to do, what feels good, what, what everyone else might say is fine. We have to say, what does the Father say? He loves us most of all. He knows the best way to live. Uh, so we have to love others enough not to leave them in, our, in their sin, but to point them to the Father. Jesus didn't say, neither do I condemn you. Go have a good time with whoever you were just with. He said, neither do I condemn you. Man, there's something better. You, you don't have to live like this. Leave this life of sin. That's the context where I want us to be as we turn toward homosexuality. The, the question is, what does God say about homosexuality? The answer, the short answer, not a lot. But what he says is clear. Homosexual activity is, is not inside the circle, Right? It's not within a committed, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. So it's outside the circle. It's outside God's design for our sexuality. Along with all those other things that are also outside this circle, homosexual activity is, is sin. It's where Scripture comes down on it. There are just a few, just five or six main passages in Scripture that talk about homosexual activity. So there, there's not a whole lot there in Scripture, but none of them condone it. None of them say that it's no big deal. Sexual relationships between members of the same gender are always held in a negative light in Scripture. Uh, the general superintendents in the Church of the Nazarene uh, came out with a statement several years ago. Actually, there's copies of it. Uh, it looks a little like this out on the table in the foyer if you want to uh, grab that and read through that uh, on your own time. It's, it's there for, for you to do. Uh, there's a statement in there that says this, the, the few biblical texts that speak of homosexual activity all do so with unqualified disapproval. And the whole of the biblical witness speaks as one voice prohibiting homosexual activity. Of course, we, we hear that in the context of a society that legitimizes homosexual activity more and more all the time. It's just common. And, and I guess I say, well, of course they do. I mean, they're not living over here. They're living here. Of course they do. They're living to, to be happy. And so anything goes. And, and it's my life and my rules. And I can make my own rules. So of course they do. A homosexual relationship might, uh, you know, make someone feel good, make someone happy. Everyone's condoning it and saying it's okay. Uh, I'm going by my feelings anyway. So of course I will. Much of a homosexual activity, uh, celebrated in our, in our culture is, is, I mean, I guess we could, it's, it's hedonistic, just like a lot of the sexual activity, uh, heterosexual activity in our culture today is, is hedonistic, is seeking multiple partners outside of committed relationships and, and, and even many w within pro homosexual sexual circles would say, well, we don't condone that. There are, there are some folks, and increasing in number in, in Christian circles, though, who would contend that the Bible doesn't seem to condemn homosexual relationships uh, occurring in a committed, uh, lifelong relationship. 
Uh, so, uh, without diving into it extensively, one of the questions we received through this, through this study was, well, how do, how do people kind of explain this away, especially in the church? How, how do we do that? Well, well, first of all, uh, virtually all folks that are in the church that are saying, um, uh, that, that, that the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, get rid of or, or talk down about homosexual activity, uh, they, they would say, well, the Bible does talk about all this extra marital stuff, uh, but, but, uh, but, but they would still hold true that a relationship, committed relationship between two people of the same gender, if that's the way they want to do it, uh, it's not really uh, spoken against in Scripture. We'll see how uh, I think maybe uh, they are... Uh, I think they are incorrect, but, uh, but, but they would say, well, there's a lot of stuff uh, in the stories of the Old Testament that, uh, that, that is just talking about some, some awful stuff that would be wrong, whether it's homosexual, heterosexual, anything. And, and then they come to the New Testament, and they see that Paul uh, addresses it in several ways, and, and, uh, and, and going in, and they look at some of the, the, the Greek words that he uses, and he kind of puts together a, a new Greek word, and, and they're not quite sure what that means. And, and it, basically they say, well, well, the Bible does, it's, it's all kind of cultural, and uh, people weren't really talking about it back then, and, uh, and, and the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, dismiss it one way or the other. The Bible, whenever the Bible is addressing homosexual activity, it's talking about... Uh, it, activity that's not related to a, a lifelong committed relationship. That's, that's kind of, without going into the next uh, three hours and, and parsing out all of that, that, that kind of uh, explains a little bit about that and hopefully helps to answer that question. But from, from my understanding, um, that's, that's kind of how it, all, how it all comes down. But basically they're saying, oh, God's okay with it, it must be okay with it because I have these homosexual leanings and so therefore I should uh, act on those homosexual leanings because God wants me to be happy. And we see the fatal flaw in that if we're going through the, this, uh, this whole series and the Christian worldview because it's not that God wants it. Well, sure, God wants us to be happy, but only, uh, the only way to be truly happy is that he makes us holy and as he makes us holy, uh, we try and find true joy and happiness. Well, let's look just, just briefly at the scriptural accounts. We're going to dive into one specifically, but uh, there are a couple of verses in Leviticus that, that condemn homosexual practices, uh, and, and, and you can read those. Uh, there, you just Google that and you'll find those. There are a couple of awful stories in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 19 and Judges chapter 19, where evil men are literally trying to gang rape other men, and, uh, the, and, and, and that's addressed. And, and you've got the whole story. Of part, of, part of that is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God literally blew them up uh, because of their, uh, their, their, their sin in that way. In the New Testament, Paul addresses homosexual activity in several different letters, in, in, in 1 Timothy, in 1 Corinthians, and in, in Romans 1, usually in the context of a list of many sinful behaviors, including homosexual activity. And, and of those passages, Romans 1 deals with it the most comprehensively. So I want us to read that today uh, and then, then pull some truth out of that. Verse 18 and then 24 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations, sexual relations with unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
Men committed shameful acts with other women, uh, other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they, would, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This passage is all about God's wrath being revealed against unrighteousness and homosexual activity is listed as an example of one form of human unrighteousness. It's the only place in the Bible where both female and male homosexual activity are both addressed and these acts are are described as contrary to God's will and, and against the natural order of things. But before we get on our moral high horse and start yelling from the rooftops denouncing homosexuals and their sin... It seems to me that the church today has a whole lot to say about certain sins and we're pretty quiet about others. It feels great to be able to condemn uh, things like homosexual activity. Oh, that's wrong. I, I can't believe someone would, would even think about doing that. I, I remember driving through Topeka, Kansas many years ago. And Fred Phelps and the people of Westboro Baptist Church are out on the, out on the street corners with their picket signs and, and, uh, uh, God hates fags and, and, uh, condemning them and, and quoting scripture and all those kinds of things. From time to time, we've seen billboards even, even around here with, with, uh, with, with condemning a, a homosexual lifestyle. The church tends to publicly protest big flashy sins. I want to know where the billboard is against gossip. I want to know where the picketers are picketing against kids who disobey their parents. I might join the line. It, no. <laughs> Greedy people. You, you saw the list there. It's not just, oh, homosexuality is, is awful and, and, and wrong and uh, everything else isn't quite that bad. Well, that's how we treat it though, right? There are 21 other sins listed there in that list, not just homosexual activity. So I, I'm wondering, and here's the question. Maybe, maybe this is right where we get to it. What if in that story in John 8... It wasn't a woman caught in the act of adultery, but it was a man caught in a homosexual act. I don't think Jesus would be writing God hates fags in the dirt during that story. I'm convinced with all my heart, and I think scripture backs me up, that if that situation were dealing with homosexual sin, Jesus would have dealt with it the exact same way. I don't condemn you. I love you. But man, there's so much better. (laughs) Leave your life of sin. I hope that you've noticed through this that I have specifically referred to homosexual activity as sinful. There is a difference between homosexual orientation and homosexual activity. Sexual behavior, activity, sexual behavior is a moral choice. Sexual orientation is not. I, I, one, one question that, uh, that, that we could ask is, can a heterosexual person point to the time when they chose their heterosexual orientation? As, as we've seen, Scripture clearly addresses homosexual behavior, activity. 
it seems to say nothing about homosexual orientation. We need to walk a narrow line here because in our society today uh, where homosexuality is, is more widely accepted and even celebrated, there are many instances where, where homosexual activity is, is not really part of an orientation, but it's just experimental. It's, it's an option now, and so people are experimenting with it, and it has nothing to do with, a, with an inner orientation toward someone of the same gender. Let me also say that, that, that an inner orientation cannot excuse homosexual activity any more than heterosexual orientation could excuse heterosexual activity that's outside the circle, right? Just because I'm, I'm leaning that way, doesn't excuse part part of our part of our Christian worldview states that sin has warped the world right it gives us this bent towards sin we have original sin as some struggle with a strong pull toward one sin others are pulled toward another as some someone else still another and as we highlighted a few weeks ago though temptation is not sin orientation is not sin just being drawn towards something doesn't make it sinful. It's when I've acted on that temptation that it becomes sin. So someone might say, well, I was born this way. I have this draw toward homosexual relation. I have this draw toward, I have a homosexual orientation. Okay, well, I was born this way with a heterosexual orientation. But if I acted on all the urges that I had in middle school probably wouldn't be here right now, right? It doesn't make it right just because I have a bent toward that. Outside the circle, right? Just being born with a tendency toward certain types of sin doesn't ex excuse the sin. We're born with tendencies toward, toward sinful behavior. We're born with sin. It's brought pain and suffering, warped, perverted. All of that is a result of sin. It's changed us. But if we follow through on that, is when it becomes sinful act on our parts. So our culture would say that our sexual orientation informs and defines our very identity. Many would say that you are defined by your sexual attraction. Uh, someone is gay, someone is straight, someone is transgender. I, I mean... I, I, I get that to a point sexual orientation plays a role in our identity, how we identify ourselves. But, but, but as a Christian, living through the Christian worldview, uh, we find our identity in Jesus, not, not just simply in our sexuality. And in Christ, as he makes us holy, we can avoid acting on sinful urges and temptation, homosexual or otherwise. I know that, that in this fallen world, there are problems and pain and deformities and people are born with biological mysteries and, 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 and all of those things. Without going into all the details, uh, chromosomes and all the things that, that, that we find in, in medical science these days. And, and, and I don't have answers to all of those things. And the Bible doesn't address those things. But, but what the Bible is clear on is that any sexual activity outside the circle is sinful. That any homosexual activity is not within God's design for our sexual lives. Hopefully you've caught that by now. I think I've said it a few times. Uh, a couple of cautions for those who are not tempted in the area of homosexuality. I think one thing we need to do is not tell non-Christians how to live. They are not living with the same worldview as Christians. Uh, 
And until they do, until they realize that they have a loving heavenly father who has provided for their salvation, who wants a relationship with them, who wants to make them holy, then they won't agree with this. And you can't force Christian principles on non-believers that are living with this worldview. But you can love them. You can drop rocks of condemnation. And you can treat them and value them as people who matter to God without celebrating their moral choices. There's a whole big conversation included there. That's all we have time to say today. Another thing, keep growing. Don't just settle into a memorized static position here. But keep studying and learning and growing uh, closer as you have relationships. Uh, and, and I'm sure uh, most all of us do, right? Relationships with, with, uh, with, with folks who, who have uh, homosexual orientation, who are uh, either acting or not acting upon that. Uh, as, as we have those relationships, we seek Jesus and, and his counsel as we, as we seek to grow closer to him, as we go closer to these people and help them, uh, help the, point them to, to Christ. God will help you know how to respond in this area. Another thing is that we can't be neutral on this. We can't just say it's okay. Because if the Bible draws a line, if we're following the Christian worldview, we have to draw a line. We can't just say, oh, well, no big deal. We're back to the smorgasbord at that point. Well, I'll follow God on the, the, the sins that I don't struggle with, <laughs> but the ones that I, that I do struggle with, he sure probably wants to make me happy, right? We can't follow God and disagree with him at the same time. You saw that passage in, in Romans chapter 1 at the end. It, it didn't just condemn the people who were sinning. It condemned those who approved of the people who were sinning. If God isn't neutral, we can't be neutral. So what's the answer for those who, who want to follow Jesus and find themselves with a homosexual orientation? The question, I guess, that we had printed in there for weeks was, can I be gay and be a Christian? Temptation isn't sin. Orientation isn't sin. Acting on your temptation is sin. And so, can I have a homosexual orientation and follow Jesus? Yes, of course. Can I be uh, living in rebellion against Jesus by doing whatever I want to do and still be called a Christian? No, I can't. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Again, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about holiness. Second Peter 1, 3 says every, that, that, that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That doesn't exclude our sexual life. It is possible to live holy lives no matter what our orientation. With God's grace, we don't have to give in to our, to our urges and temptations. It's possible to live within the circle and to be married or single. And we're still inside the circle, right? There's just, there's just a celibate lifestyle there. Some may may, uh, may need to draw near to God and seek His direction, and at times there are there are folks who testify to a, a shift in their orientation. There are many who do not testify to a shift in their orientation, but they still live a celibate life, a, a life where they are committed to God first. And since they know that life outside the circle is not upholding a, a, a godly, holy Christian influence then they choose to live within that circle, even if that means remaining single, remaining celibate. For all of us, we have to be honest about what tempts us 
outside the circle. We can't just just uh, diminish certain things because because uh, because maybe they're not the the hot button topic of the day, or or because we we struggle with that, so we must work away around that. If, if you're drawn to it, uh, confess it to God. Uh, allow him to, to, to work through you. Allow him to, 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 uh, to, to help you uh, with that temptation, to say no to that temptation. Uh, scripture tells us no temptation has seized us except what is common to all of us. And God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, but he will provide a way out. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. It's not all about, I'm just going to go do whatever makes me happy. It's about letting God grab a hold of us and make us holy. And as we walk that road and as we walk that journey, we realize that what makes us holy is so much deeper and fulfilling and joy-filled than just living for what makes me happy. And church, when we see others who are battling these issues... Drop your rocks and love people. And when you can, point them to their loving Heavenly Father. Don't condone the, uh, the, the sinful behavior, but don't condemn either. That's God's job, to work on their heart, right? Don't, don't condemn. Jesus said, well, neither do I. But go and leave your life. There's so much better, so much more life inside the circle. Father God, we, we thank you for how you have made us, that you've created us in your image, and part of that is our gender. Lord, it's, it's difficult sometimes as we walk this, this journey to, to, to see how we need to navigate these things, either in our own lives or with those that we know and love who, who may struggle with some of the issues that we face. Lord, I pray that you will uh, continue to help us as we draw near to you, as we seek your face, as we seek your heart with all of our heart. Lord, I pray that you'll make it clear to us how, how we can allow you to continue to make us holy, even in living in this life. And Lord, I pray that, that as we encounter the, the relationships that we have with, 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 with those in our lives who may struggle with some of these issues, uh, uh of sexuality and, and orientation and all of those things, Lord, I, I just pray that you will help us to, to, to not be a condemning voice or a condoning voice, but a voice of grace and truth. Your voice, your love, your spirit leading the way. Lord, I confess that this conversation has been all one-sided today. I, I, there's there's uh, there's a whole lot that that can take place here, and and there may be some who 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 take issue. Lord, I pray that we would continue to seek out uh, your truth through this. That that, that we can find uh, that we can find your grace and your love and and your guidance through this. That you'll help us to 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 not condemn one way or the other, but to but to seek out your direction as we seek your face completely. Lord, we love you today. We thank you that as we go from here, we don't go alone. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to be the church wherever we find ourselves. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.